Welcome to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Coviello, and as the Drop-In CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to enhance the human element and increase the results they achieve. This podcast is about bringing you conversations with expert guests who have achieved their greatest results built on a strong foundation of purpose, values, and elevating people. If you're a business leader, entrepreneur, or even just getting started in business, join us as we build the skills you need to achieve your goals. Hello, my name is Deb Coviello, founder of Illumination Partners, and I just want to thank you for coming back and joining me on another episode of the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I'm excited about today because there is so much happening in the CEO's Compass, your guide to get back on track, my book that is coming out later in 2021. And today, I will be sharing more about Chapter 7 and 8. And while in the past, I talked to you about the individual chapters, chapter seven, people, and chapter eight, process, are so, so connected that I absolutely have to deliver them together. Plus, we are getting close to the launch date, so I need to speed up these chapters with you. But, you know, if you've been following me all along, the CEO's Compass, your guide to get back on track, well, it is written for the CEO and the senior business leader. The messages resonate with wherever you are in your career or even in your own business because you know, I'll say it, people are the greatest tool in your toolbox. And I'd also talk about coaching future leaders is how we leave our legacy. Now, I have seen organizations that invest a lot in their people. And if you listen to me, invest is the key, because if you don't, they become an expense. Now, I think differently. (laughs) If you have noticed, I always ask questions. I remember as a child, I would always ask, why, 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 till I had a deep understanding. And unfortunately, society would squelch the why and say, nose down, just do your lesson. But I ask you a question. Why can't everybody be a high performer? And I actually had somebody challenge me on that. I think it was one of my editors, because we're in an editing cycle. You know, of course, you have people that are low performers, and people that are average, and people are high. And I challenge you to challenge that narrative. So I ask you again, why can't everybody be a high performer? And that's how I open up chapter seven about people. And so one of the things I want you to think about is that, you know, We put people on a bell-shaped curve because we need to profile and segregate and find ways of treating them differently. And I will tell you, the high performers, they do stand out. They do amazing work. They may be a little bit more visible, and so we put them on a path for succession planning and future opportunities. But then you have those people that are the what I call the steady eddies, the people that are heads down, that are loyal, that you can depend upon to do the work and don't give you any problems, and they only come to you for just a few questions, but they are loyal, and you put them in a box, and you assume they're happy with where they're at, and you leave them alone. And then finally, you have your poor performers that also often are HR business partners, ask them 
ask us to put them in a box of low performance. You need to put them on a performance improvement plan. And then if we are or are not able to invest the time, and then maybe the person doesn't necessarily have the skills to help them own selves, pull themselves up, they become an expense to the company. And that's what we do. But I ask you again, Why can't everybody be a high performer? And I write a lot about this because certainly there is a challenge. Even with a high performer, we assume they're going to continue to ascend the corporate ladder. But if we don't give them feedback on what could they do to improve, where do they need to leverage a strength, these people are impatient. And if you don't feed their soul to continue to have the opportunities to excel, they become an expense and they leave you. So let's move on to the steady eddies. And steady eddie, if that terminology doesn't resonate with you, I mean, again, somebody that consistently does a quality job. But I wonder if you spent more time with them, asking them probing questions, ask them what they really enjoy doing and what are they passionate about doing, you might find that there is a missed opportunity in leveraging what they already do well and maybe translate it to others, maybe groom others to take their place. Maybe a skill they have can be leveraged across another part of the business. A wasted opportunity a wasted opportunity to maybe elevate that person with a new sense of pride, and maybe they could be a high performer. And then let's talk about the poor performer as we like to label that person. The poor performer, perhaps they've never had the opportunity to have a conversation with somebody and understand their potential, understand their weaknesses, and have somebody that consciously works with them on an improvement plan to perhaps maybe focus on their strengths, maybe compensate for the weakness or work with them, or maybe even pair them with somebody that has a strength in that area. Just spending time with these people that we perceive as poor performers by investing in time with them. You never know, they could move up to being your steady Eddie, or maybe even your high performer. So I question everything, and I ask that you also question, why can't everybody be a high performer? So how do you start? Sounds like a lot of work. It all starts with a conversation, and it's about you starting with some intentionality about, I want to see if everybody on my team can be a high performer. And you may be surprised. And it may all start with simply putting aside 10% of your time, maybe two hours a week, scheduling one-on-ones with your people and just having a conversation, not necessarily about the work that they're doing, but talk to them about the strategy and the overall purpose. Ask them questions about where what they do lines up with that purpose. Let's talk about their strengths their weaknesses, their opportunities, perhaps threats to their role if they haven't already addressed them, and maybe that's a point of a discussion. When we start conversations from a strategic level and we also continue them from a place of personal development, you never know, you may be surprised about the talent that you have on the staff. And, you know, I'll quickly revert to my story where in my last role, I had the good fortune of being the head of quality, and I had very little team when I first started, but we were in the last place from a quality performance perspective globally, and I had to do something about bringing it up. And over time, I built a team of highly skilled professionals that were much smarter than I was, but they were 
in silos. They were labeled as great subject matter experts, but not worthy of greater leadership roles. And I questioned that. I said, there is something in these people that already made them highly successful as a technical leader, but what can we do to elevate them as a real leader, a leader that can impact many on a grander scale? And what are those skills that they need? Again, I ask a lot of questions, and these are the things that I was put down as a child, but as a leader, it is essential for you to continue to ask questions and challenge the status quo. So fast forward Every one of these leaders that I had under my wink has since been promoted or been gone to a higher level role in another company because I did two things. I talked about what were their strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats to their role, and we worked through that on a development plan. But I also took the additional step of my vault assessment, V-A-U-L-T. And vault (laughs) often means to push forward, to jump, to leap. But what it stands for is doing a value assessment on the individual, understanding their passion, which might be a little bit different than their strengths. And then once you understand that strength and that unique talent and passion that they have that you may not bring forward at this point, what can you do to launch them and experiment in a new role that leverages their strength and their passion, and then continue to trial it, tweak it, train it until they become a new person and maybe even a high performer, serving the business in a better way than where they were as just a steady Eddie. And I have one particular person I'm particularly fond of. They were really great at transactional work within a manufacturing operations. They were the go-to person to fix problems. But I later learned that this person had a passion for teaching and training and critical thinking and history. And when we brought them into an opportunity to teach critical thinking and problem solving, oh my goodness, they performed at the highest level, and they were personally excited. And so this person went on to be my right-hand person when it came to elevating an entire organization of critical thinkers and problem solvers. So we took somebody that had a unique talent, amplified it across the business. And that and several other stories about the leaders that I was able to elevate with not only their strengths, their passions, and having those one-on-one conversations on a regular basis, I was able to move the organization from number four to number two out of four regions. I can't take all the credit, but my role only as a leader to ask the hard questions about the people and elevating everybody to a high performer. And so I'll switch gears a little bit. Again, people are the greatest tool in your toolbox. And elevating the individual is the work that we need to do to invest and get the best we can out of our people. But then I noticed that there was another dynamic, the interaction of people and their environment. You can have the greatest talent and you can be vaulting them into higher levels of roles of responsibility and impact. But I have found along the way that we don't teach people very well how to interact with each other especially around conflict. And, you know, what we'll do as leaders, I've seen this in the past, is we'll send them out for training, we'll teach them conflict resolution, and then we fail to discuss those learning opportunities and help them to practice until they build it as a skill. So what is our role as a leader? 
We are an integral part of the process, the process of helping our leaders elevate to a point where they can interface with their environment amidst chaos <laughs> and crisis. Because all we have at the end of the day is ourselves, our technical expertise, and our ability to interact with other humans to solve problems. It's not us versus the process. It's not us versus the equipment. It's not us against that operating system. And that's the way leaders treat things. It's really us with other people. And so I start out chapter eight, the compass point about process, about the fairy tale. And I'll use a little bit of language that's not so familiar with everybody. The fairy tale, PDCA, and Demaic, don't fix a process. Now, for those people who are from the manufacturing or operations world, those are problem-solving methodologies. PDCA is we plan, we do, we check, and we act as a methodology for problem solving and making sure that we're getting the desired result. And for your more challenging problems, DMAIC, D-M-A-I-N-C, from the Six Sigma world, it is define, measure, analyze, improve, and control. And these are fantastic techniques for which we should approach problems in an organization and solve them to bring you to a higher level of performance or close a gap. But the problem is, is we invest in our people to teach the methodology, and we don't invest in our people on how to interact with people because we come to these meetings or these situations with diverse backgrounds, different ways of communicating, different ways of learning, understanding, and being educated. And we also sometimes don't talk about their past, their culture, their pride, and their intellectual property. And when we come together and solve problems... We get chaos. We get people not listening to each other. We get people who fold their arms. We have people that are loud. We have people that disseminate information. And we have people that are quiet and fold their arms and don't want to interact with the situation. And so when I talk about the process, the context of process is your role as a leader to observe these interactions and be able to assess the gaps and apply the right treatment. So we invest in the interactions of our people, that's the process, to elevate the impact and have less waste. Because when we don't do this, people have meetings and don't accomplish goals. We have more meetings because we didn't accomplish the goals in the previous meetings. And then there is ineffective communication, lack of communication. So all that work that you put into helping people with problem-solving methodology fails because what was an investment becomes an expense. An expense to the bottom line due to wasted effort and time. And so fast forward, what should we be doing with our leaders? We talk about some of the essential skills that are missing. So for instance, I talk so much about feedback. If you see a dynamic, a behavior, an issue that does not meet expectations, do you know how to, as a leader, be able to express or deliver feedback in the context of what to continue? Meaning, what do they do well? What should they start doing, meaning if they are start doing something in addition to what they're already doing well, they might enhance an interaction or an outcome. And finally, if you say, what should you change? These are things that if they don't change an action or behavior, it detracts from their impact. And then you have to ask yourself the question, do people on your team know 
how to one, deliver feedback in that way, what to continue, start, or change? Or do your people even know how to receive feedback in an intellectual way? Because sometimes we'll deliver feedback and people will react. But what people don't always do is listen to the intent and then internalize and think and then take some course of action. That's something we don't help our people do. They are so programmed to do versus think. And I talk a lot about that, that we need to spend more time listening, thinking, processing, and then responding. When we do, we are reacting to a situation. So there is a significant difference when we interface with our world, the process of responding to a situation versus reacting. And a few more things that we need to better equip our leaders is conflict. And I think we need to give them a map or a path or a process for managing conflict. And the word conflict onto itself in the context of process is negative, or at least that's what people think of. It is negative. But when we think about conflict in the context, if it is simply a gap in belief or expectations, it is simply a difference. And when people have a gap in expectations, they have the conflict, which may manifest itself in aggressive behavior or avoidance. And that becomes an expense to your organization. But if we can teach our people to have courage to say, do we agree to this situation? Hopefully gain consensus. Do we then have a next conversation about, well, there is a gap. I see it as this. Do you see it the same way? And if you can gain consensus, the conversation has actually moved forward because then people can have an intellectual conversation versus an emotional one of reacting or retracting. And so when we help people map out a conversation and then perhaps even say, well, if we have this gap, what can you do? And what can I do? We move people forward. And in the process, we build relationships. So don't react. We need to teach people how to respond to build better relationships so that when we have conflict or gaps, there isn't a significant abyss. (laughs) Now, there are so many more things in my chapter eight about the process of human interactions that you as a leader need to take more time and emphasize. And again, another 10% of your time should be focused on observing these interactions, assessing the gap, and helping your people to have more proactive interactions. And one might say this investment in time, you don't have the time. On the other hand, you always have an open door policy for people to come in, shut the door behind them, and talk about the conflict. And instead, why don't we talk about how to help people think and respond on how to build relationships. And so there is so much in these two chapters. Chapter seven, people are the greatest tool in your toolbox. Chapter eight, the process of helping the human interaction because that investment is going to yield better results over time and leave a lasting impact. And you, as a leader, by modeling this kind of behavior, your future leaders see these skills, they develop these skills, and then they're able to mentor those skills in others. And so that is chapter seven and eight, and I hope that these were helpful to you. I am so passionate about these things because I have found over time, investing in new equipment, 
investing in new technology, investing, I don't know, in training people and hoping for the best. Those things just don't work. They're tactical solutions with minimal investment. But if you just invest your time and your people, those are the kinds of things that will start getting us back on track to true north or peace of mind. And that is The CEO's Compass, The CEO's Compass, your guide to get back on track. My book that's coming out later in 2021, I cannot wait to see how this is going to hopefully inspire a few people and ultimately impact many. So if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate and review, drop in CEO podcast. I am grateful for you joining me on this journey. And if you've just recently joined me, I ask that you stick with us because we're going to bring chapters 9, 10, 11, and 12, and ultimately the book launch later in 2021. It will help so many and I can't wait. So I wish you well. I wish you success. And if we've not met, I look forward to meeting you someday. Be well. Thank you for listening to the Drop In CEO podcast. I hope you are inspired by our conversation and can apply what you heard to your business or career goals. For more information about our consulting or coaching services, please visit my website at dropinceo.com or visit our Drop In CEO Facebook group to continue the conversation. Now go out, lead, inspire, and achieve your goals.